0: Well, good morning, guys. Thank you for joining us. My name is Patrick Fowler. Uh, as Luther said, I am one of the pastors here. I spend most of my time on small groups and uh, next steps. So I'd love to have a conversation with many of you guys just about how we can move you forward in your faith. But today, I'm going to present the third week of Netflixmas. So if you're a Christmas movies fan, you have come to One Church at the perfect time. Uh, if you love Chevy Chase's Christmas Vacation, or you are a lover of the classic, It's a Wonderful Life. We did those these past couple of weeks. You may want to download the One Church app and, and just see what we did with those. Because we're using movies, uh, movies that we love and wait all year to watch to talk about how God can be active in our life and how and to bring kind of new light to Scripture that many of us have read a couple of times before. So And if you're a huge fan of Will Ferrell's The Elf, let me just say this, you do not want to miss next week. Because next week, not only are you going to us, hear us talk about Elf, but you are going to get a chance to take a picture and be the Elf. So join us for that. Um, Today, we're talking about the Polar Express, and we're going to use that movie and clips from that movie to talk about faith and talk about doubt. So if you're a person who's had ups and downs in your faith journey, or maybe you you don't even have a faith journey, this is all new for you, then I would just encourage you, today, I hope, is going to be very helpful, because we're going to learn a lot about how doubt plays into faith. So we're also going to explore this guy that um, Jesus had lots to say about. He actually called him the greatest prophet who ever lived, which, coming from Jesus... That's a pretty big deal. So we're going to look at a guy who had that kind of reputation and yet was a guy who was known for his doubts. So Now, The Polar Express is a movie that um, I hadn't seen until a few weeks ago when we started exploring some of these movie topics. And uh, you may not have seen it either, but basically the premise is it is a magic train that comes and it picks kids up and it takes them to the North Pole on Christmas Eve so they can meet Santa before he begins his toy run. So uh, it is not a train for every kid. It's actually a train for a specific group of kids. It's, it's a train for people who are having doubts about whether or not Santa is real. And so we're going to explore faith in the sense uh, we're going to play off of Santa and whether or not we believe Santa is real and talk about how God and some of those things factor in as well. Now the boy we meet and the one in the trailer, uh, he's the boy who has big doubts about faith. And before we get too far into this, I want to just play the beginning of the movie. And I want you to see the kind of doubts and the kind of things he's facing that are making him question whether or not Santa is really real. So watch this. To get to everyone's house in one night And to hold everyone's presents His sled would have to be bigger than an ocean liner Well, your brother said that? Well, he was just kidding you He knows there's a Santa He said he wasn't sure He wasn't sure Santa was for real Of course Santa's for real He's as real as Christmas itself But he won't come until you're sound asleep, young lady (laughs) Sweet dreams Santa will be here before you know it So go to sleep I love this clip because uh, much like I hope many of you, I grew up um, with parents putting me to bed and telling me Santa was coming. And, uh, and I had seasons where I heard or uh, saw things that made me question whether or not that was belief. Anybody, who else here grew up um, with their parents talking about Santa, putting them to bed with Santa coming, right? So you can relate to this, right? We all have things that we believe as kids, uh, some of them great and some of them bad. And, and Santa's one of those that falls in the middle. Um, but we all have things we believe as kids that, uh, that get challenged as we grow up. In fact, before we get into Santa stuff, I just want to have some fun with this. So let me ask you real quickly if any of these things are things that you believed as a kid. Because uh, I got told some of these growing up. So did, did anybody in here believe that all music on the radio was actually a live band performing somewhere? I just had it in my head that there was a band playing this music that came over the radio somewhere. Um, how about this one? Anybody live in fear after swallowing a seed from a plant, that that was going to grow inside of you into a watermelon or something, right? I can't tell you how many times I, went, I couldn't sleep. Um, how about anybody tell you that you get pregnant by kissing, so, was that one you grew up with? I see some hands over here. So, and then uh, my personal favorite, I think because I love the bathtub so much, did anybody ever tell you that you shrink if you stay in the bathtub too long? Right? And there's even evidence for that because you get those raisiny fingers, right? So, there are lots of things we believe as kids that need to be kind of blown up in terms of having faith in something or believing something. Now, Santa's a questionable one, but what I want to do with Santa is not argue whether or not he believes or not, but use some of the arguments that we, we encounter about Santa and talk about how those are very similar to how we um, believe in God. And so let's talk through some of those real quickly. Now the boy in his pictures that he's looking through in the movie, he, um, he's got pictures of, ki- of adults in Santa costumes. And any, anybody, no matter who they are, has encountered some adults in Santa costumes. But the trick is some of us start to believe that if this adult's in a Santa costume, then every adult's in a Santa costume. And there's no real Santa without a costume. So uh, the other thing that, that a lot of times happens is we're digging through the house and we encounter some presents. That, um, that shouldn't be there or, or that are going to get presented on Christmas Day. And that causes us to doubt and, and wonder why they were already at the house. Um, another one, and a big one, with Santa. Maybe this is you. Maybe you had this present you really wanted. I mean, really wanted it. So much that you wrote some letters to Santa, and, and you told him that you wanted it. And you got really upset on Christmas Day when you had a bunch of gifts, but the one that you had been asking and asking and asking and asking for didn't show up, right? And you thought, well, if Santa's not smart enough or um, good enough to bring me the gift that I wanted, then I'm just not going to believe in him, even if he is real. Uh, Maybe somebody older gave you like a really convincing argument that he wasn't real, and that kind of threw you off, and you thought, if they can be so confident and have all these reasons and anticipate some of my reasons for believing, then maybe they're right. And then lastly, and maybe more gut check honestly... Maybe you just got tired of the pressure to be good, and you got tired of feeling like every time you did something that wasn't good, you got knocked off the nice list. And you got so tired of living kind of in fear that you weren't going to be on the nice list that you just you thought, you know what, even if he exists, I'm just going to pretend he doesn't because I'm just tired of that tension. So Now think about those for a second, and let's put those in the context of belief in God. right? Maybe you met some Christians who were wearing the Christian costume. They put it on when it was convenient, and you got to see both sides of their life, and you thought, you know what, if they can't be real, like if they can't be the same person in every place, then maybe, you know, their God is just as big a hoax as they are. Maybe, in fact, it wasn't a Christian. Maybe it was a group of Christians. Maybe it was a church that really hurt you. Maybe you went into this building, and they talked a lot about faith and loving other people, but when you look behind the scenes, there just wasn't a lot of realness to that love. That's that's a real thing that can happen, too. The big one for most adults... Um, as they grow up I counted this all the time is they've got this request for God they want God to do something that's good they know it's good they want a a good marriage they want um, so badly to have a family and and get pregnant Um, or maybe it's they have somebody who's suffering physically and they just know God would want that person to stay with them and so they pray and pray and pray for that person to be healed and they ask God for something and ask God for something and ask God for something and when he doesn't come through they're like you know what if God's not good enough to give me that, and I know it was good, then I just, I don't think he could even exist. So. Another one is convincing arguments. I've heard some very convincing arguments for why you shouldn't believe in God or shouldn't trust the Bible. Um, and uh, I think that's a very real one that we encounter sometimes. And a lot of times it's presented by somebody who's an expert in their field. And so we have very little to go on because we don't know their field, we don't know what they're talking about, too well, and we really struggle to counter their arguments. And then if we're honest, I mean, really honest, I'd say some of us just don't want to feel the pressure to be good. And so we abandon belief because we want to behave differently than maybe a Christian or somebody who believes in God would behave. And uh, we give it away for convenience. So, here's my point in all of that, is if you find yourself in one of those categories, and you should agree with this, that faith it's easier to lose than we think. But faith is easier to lose than we think. And if you're struggling with accepting that, let me give you the story of another person uh, who found out this the hard way. It's a guy named John. It's the guy I was telling you earlier, Jesus called the greatest prophet who ever lived. John was, in one sense, a phenomenal speaker of his day. He had huge crowds, thousands if not tens of thousands, who were coming out to hear John. Uh, in fact, here's what the scripture says or describes about John. When we meet him, it says people from all of Jerusalem—think Washington, D.C., because it's the capital city—all Judea and all the vicinity of the Jordan were flocking to John. I don't know what flocking means, but let's just go with it. All right. So um, he was—if you know Billy Graham and the Crusades, Billy Graham used to do—he was like that. He had these people coming out to him in droves, and John has utter perfect confidence that Jesus who he meets is going to be the, the leader that they've all been waiting for, the Messiah, the Christ the one everybody's been waiting for John is so confident this is kind of how he says it to the people as he's preaching to them, he says here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and he continues this is the one I told you about and then he goes even further and he says, I watched the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and rest on this guy. And if you didn't catch those three, he says, I have seen and testified that he is the Son of God. Doesn't that sound like confidence? Doesn't that sound like unshakable faith? I mean, how can you give somebody that endorsement? Yet, in Scripture a couple paragraphs down, Probably in time, a couple of months later. Jesus, John kind of sends a question to Jesus. He sends it through a couple of disciples. It's almost like kind of a whisper back room. And this is what he asks Jesus. He says, "Um, are, Are you the one who is to come, or should we be expecting somebody else? It's Like, what? Wait a minute. Are you the one who is to come, or did I mess up and expect somebody else? Now, this is a guy who was so confident at the time a couple months before that not only did he endorse Jesus, but all the people that were following him, John basically said, Hey, forget me. Go follow that guy because he's the one who's supposed to take over. So John had given crowds, thousands of people to Jesus. In fact, Jesus' ministry probably started as big as it did because John basically gave up his group of people. It'd be like Chris coming in here and and saying, Luther's going to preach from now on. You guys follow Luther. It's a big thing to do that kind of thing. So, So John's a guy who we think has unshakable faith, but he really doesn't. And what I want to glean from that is simply this. After John asks this question, after he asks this question, Jesus says, he is the greatest prophet to ever live. So if John can have these kind of doubts, and John can still be the greatest prophet who ever lives, then I've got to say that doubt's probably an okay thing. In fact... Here's the first part of our big idea today, and it's simply this. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Having good faith, if you think you're maybe a terrible Christian because you've got some doubts, having good faith is not having 100% confidence at all times and all ways that you have doubt. Because if the greatest prophet can have some doubts, then it's okay for us to as well. Now... I'm using the Polar Express to illustrate this because our boy, the hero, who comes along on the train, he has his doubts. Uh, He boards the train, hoping that some of those things are going to be taken care of. And the thing I love most about our hero is the fact that not only does he have his doubts, but he is totally invested in bringing some other doubters along with him. In fact, the next person that we really get introduced to in the story is a boy named Billy. And Billy's a kid who has the opportunity to board the train as well, and, well... If it hadn't been for the hero, he would have never gotten on the train. Watch this clip and watch how our hero rescues Billy. Just another pickup. That's weird. I thought you were supposed to be the last one. Right to the North Pole, of course! This is the Polar Express! Excuse yourself. know this is a kid's movie, so pardon me. I get a little emotional in this moment, and it's... The reason I call the older boy the hero is because I think it's really heroic to help people who are having their faith doubts get on the train, get to a safe place where they can explore those doubts. I, that's the whole point of One Church. We do Sunday mornings specifically with people who don't know faith in mind. And um, I really struggle watching that because I know a lot of churches who make faith getting... To a place where it can be safe and you can explore your doubts so hard it's like that boy trying to catch a running train. And that's not who we want to be and I hope that's not who you want to be either. I'd encourage you, if I can take an aside real quick, just that I love the hero and I call him the hero because of this moment right here. Because he is willing to go out of his way to help people who are having faith doubts have a safe place. And especially around the holidays, I feel like there's a lot of ways we can create safe places of conversation or bringing people to church who need to explore their faith doubts and just need to know that it's safe. So if you guys ever wonder why we ask people to text questions, if you guys ever wonder why um, we want to be personal, um, it's because we want there to be safe places for people who are struggling in their faith or who are struggling to even understand faith um, to have conversations. One of my best moments from last Christmas season was a guy who sat in this room and who um, asked me to go to coffee with him and just laid out lines upon lines, pages upon pages of faith doubts that he had. He said, this is why I don't believe. And Pete and I, I don't know where he really ended up in deciding because he moved away a couple of months after we started that conversation. But P- Pete and I had some of the best conversations. And I was just grateful that he considered me a safe place to have a conversation with that. So if... Faith is about having no doubts that I'm a terrible Christian because I've had a lot of doubts. Um, some of the ones that I've struggled with, um, I had a professor in high school who was very smart and uh, knew a lot about science at a time when I didn't know anything about science. And he talked about evolutionary theory not just as if it was something that um, was something to be believed but is, is the truth, as the untestable standard. And he kind of rated it against Christianity And as a young Christian, I really didn't know how to reply to some of the things that he said, or I didn't know how to reconcile the fact that he was saying things that didn't match up with my faith. He was a really smart guy making a really strong argument, and it took me a long time to work through the doubts that he created in my mind uh, by what he said. And if I can be honest, from a non-head standpoint, I watched a lot of people have fun when I was in high school, in that time when I wanted independence. And something to play into my faith doubts was also that desire to, uh, to have some fun outside of faith. And I, I almost dismissed my beliefs so that I could behave a way that I wanted to behave. I don't know if you guys can relate to that or not. And then recently, just because this isn't all just past stuff, but recently, because uh, I have a 20-month-old and a 2-month-old and a child, um, we got word, as Stacey was pregnant with both kids, that there would potentially be some complications. And that's not what you want to hear when, you're, when your wife's pregnant. And uh, as a pastor, much like John the Baptist, I had some expectations for how God was supposed to treat me and how easy life was supposed to be because I believed in Him. I had a ton of faith. I was serving Him. Um, I was in a good place in my faith, but I felt like God was giving me a raw hand at something that I expected to be easier than it was. And in each of these, I picked up some doubts that just had to ride along with me as I tried to figure out faith. Now, as a pastor, there's something else that I really struggle with. And it's people who come along, Christians, who use two terms. Blind faith and faith like a child. Have you guys ever met anybody who used those terms? Um, I don't like these terms at all. Uh, blind faith, that's what people say when they say, you just need to believe. You just need to believe. Oh, that grates me because my faith is grounded in some things that I really have experienced and some things I know about the world and some things I know about the Bible that I think are very firm, firm understanding. I believe nobody can deny things like that Jesus walked this earth and that he said what he said. But I don't want to argue that this morning. I just want to tell you that my faith is well-grounded. And though I have doubts, I have good reasons to believe what I believe. And there's been tons of people who are very intelligent um, in the past and now that have faith because they feel like faith is not blindness. Faith is really, truly believing because you've got good reasons to believe. This uh, second statement, faith like a child... That's one Jesus gave in his ministry, uh, and so it's a, kind of a misunderstanding of something that he said. Jesus said you need to approach God like a child once, um, and it got turned into faith like a child. But honestly, if you read the paragraph where Jesus is talking, you realize he's talking to not to just general people. He's talking to religious leaders. He's talking to people who are kind of know-it-alls about faith. And he's basically saying, look, you guys are way too prideful. You guys think you have stuff to bring to God, and you need to start approaching God like a child. Not, not expecting to bring stuff to God, but just expecting to be with God, just wanting to be humble and to learn. And so that got turned into faith like a child at some point. And I don't know when, I don't know how, but I hate that term because, again, there are times when I cling to my belief even though I have lots of doubts. But it's not because I don't have reasons to believe. So, and I think doubts will come, um, but, and they're born out of just a million different things. But one of the places they're born is fear. And they're, they're born for reasons that kind of sit under the surface of our lives. And my favorite clip from Polar Express, my favorite one is this: when this boy meets a hobo on the top of the train. And he's, uh, you know, he's struggling with doubt anyway. And, uh, and he meets this strange person who's kind of hitching along a ride on the train. And this guy just hits him in the face with the reasons why he really disbelieves in God, disbelieves in Santa and struggles with faith in Santa. And so I want you to watch this clip and just let him get in your face about why sometimes we struggle. Watch this. Isn't he the king of the North Pole? You mean... You mean this guy? (laughs) What exactly is, is your persuasion on the big man since you brought him up? Well... I want to believe, but... But you don't want to be bamboozled. You don't want to be let down to primrose path. You don't want to be caught or duped. Have the wall pulled over your eyes. Hoodwinked. You don't want to be taken for a ride. Railroaded. Seeing is believing. Am I right? Again, I like how in your face, the hobo is at that moment because a lot of times doubt hits us in the face and so if you're a christian or you're outside the belief just know this that doubt's going to come doubt's simply going to come and it's going to hit you in the face at times somebody's going to have a really good argument uh some person who calls themselves a christian is going to be really manipulative towards you um, or you're just going to get tired of the high standard that faith calls you to and doubt's going to come in and it's going to hit you in the face the way it hit john in the face all throughout the bible there's encouragement to keep our faith and so, what I want you guys to see is that this isn't a simple thing. I could use a million different stories other than John the Baptist to illustrate this from Scripture. Because Scripture is replete with people who struggle in their faith, and it's also covered with lots of encouragement to keep the faith as well. And most of those encouragements aren't simple things like, uh, it's okay, you know, it'll be alright, just keep going. No, most of those encouragements are, hang on there, cling to God, don't give up. I mean, they're strongly worded because faith Because doubt comes in and it really messes with our faith. But the thing is, faith is not the absence of doubt. So when we have doubts, we don't have to think, I've lost my faith. We just have to think, I've got something else to work through to strengthen my faith. The book of Hebrews, if you want a place to go for doubt, is an entire um, letter, really, really long letter, written to Jewish people who are facing a lot of persecution for being Christians. Christian's not a popular thing in their culture and in their place. And uh, it's, it's written to them to encourage them to keep going. And it's like, it's like 13 chapters long. It's incredibly long. And it's, just, it's written to help people who are doubting. So there's lots of encouragement about doubt in the Bible because it's a real thing. And uh, one of my favorite quotes about doubt from recent days is this um, guy, Billy Graham, who used to speak to huge crowds about faith in Christianity. He, uh, he wrote a prayer that one time he prayed when he was hitting a season of doubt. I just want to want you to see this because these are his words to God at a time when doubt was really struggling with him. He says, oh God, there are many things in this book I don't understand. There are many problems for which I have no solution. There are many seeming contradictions. There are some areas that seem to, don't seem to correlate with science. I can't answer some of the philosophical and psychological questions Chuck and others are raising. That's a man who spoke to thousands about Christianity, persuading them to join the faith. And if he can have doubts like that, and his faith still be there, then I would just encourage you, you can have doubts. You can go through seasons of doubt and still hold your belief. You just have to work through those. So faith is not the absence of doubt This is what faith is. Faith is pursuing God despite your doubts. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith, rather, is pursuing God despite your doubts. And that's really, again, what the movie portrays so well, and while we're using it this morning. You see, the boy, the hero of this movie, he's got his struggles. He's got his doubts. And he sees a lot of evidence that makes him want to believe. But when he gets through the North Pole and sees the elves and watch the sleigh get loaded with presents, he realizes, I still haven't made a decision as to whether or not I'm going to take this seriously or not. He's been watching, and he's got lots of reasons to believe, but he doesn't believe. And because he doesn't believe, he can't hear Santa's sleigh bells. And at that moment, it strikes him, I'm still a spectator. I'm still sitting in the wings considering this. And he has to make a firm decision. Am I going to do something with this, or I'm going to choose just to ignore it? And I think that's a decision many of us face, and I love just the way this movie portrays this. So watch this last clip as this boy decides whether or not he's going to choose to believe it. What was that you said? I believe. That's a seen I love because what happens with those bells is a lot of times a very good analogy for what happens in our life when we take that step of belief. You see, for many of you, you may have sat in conversations and heard people talk about their faith, and they described something that was so real, so personal, that you went, I don't know what you're talking about. And I hope at those moments you realize that what it simply comes down to is the decision that needs to be made. And for many of you, an action point for today's sermon, the big action point is simply taking a step of faith. Because when you take a step of faith, God becomes personal. Personal. And like not being able to hear something and suddenly being able to hear something, it's a radical change to have God at work in your life. God has promised that those who believe, that they have a personal relationship with Christ, that the Holy Spirit actually speaks to them from the inside, not just from the outside, not just from the voice of a preacher. That God comes alive in a way He never has before. And so... I would encourage you, if you are there, whether you've been at church a month or been at church years, if you feel like when people talk about faith and they talk about it real faith, being real to them, I don't have that. And I would encourage you to weigh the evidence and make a decision. And I think the only guidance you need from a Christian is the verse that we use all the time that most people know. It's John 3.16. You need to know that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus. That whoever believes in him receives eternal life. So I want to encourage you, if you're at a place where you need to make a decision for Christ, you just simply need to believe that God loved the world and gave his son, Jesus. And you need to receive his gift of eternal life by asking God to save you, to to get at work in your life. And if that's a decision you need to make, and it's real to you today, I pray you make it. You don't have to tell anybody, but I would also love to know so that we can encourage you in taking steps beyond that one. That's a huge one, and that's when the world becomes alive because God gets at work in your life. That's the greatest factor that fights doubt is God at work in your personal life. And uh, for many of us, we've been Christians. Most people in this audience have been in church a while, Um, I'm going to encourage you to do some other things to help deal with doubt when it shows up in your life. The conductor of the Polar Express, the older gentleman, punches decisions that the kids need to make into the tickets at the end of the movie. There's four kids, he gives them four different decisions because for each of us there's a different stage and a different decision we need to make. The first, our hero boy, his ticket says believe because he needed to take that step of belief. For a young boy who's much like the religious leaders Jesus addressed when he said, approach God like a child, he's a know-it-all. And you may find you've been in church so long you seem to know it all. You've got God boiled down not to a person but to a formula. You know all the things to say and what to do. And if you were honest, you might say, at this stage of my life, my faith walk is kind of bleh. It's just boring. It's, It's lifeless. If that's you, if you're a know-it-all to the faith, I would encourage you to do what Jesus encouraged the religious leaders to do, to be humble and not to approach God like you have stuff to offer, but to approach God and ask him to do something fresh and real in your life and to teach you something new or remind you of something you have been neglecting. So there's a believe step. The ticket for the know-it-all is learn. Some of us just need to be humble and learn. The uh, other tickets, Billy, the little boy that we meet who almost misses the train, he's, as we learn in the story, he doesn't have a a faith background. He really hasn't had visits from Santa. Uh, As he likes to phrase it, Christmas never quite works out for him. And the reason Billy comes along in his faith is because of his friends, the hero and some of the other kids that surround him. And his ticket says depend on, as in depend on your friends. I would encourage you guys, if you have a dark past or don't have a Christian background, or you just find that when doubt really does hit you, it's pretty dark, you need to make sure you've got people around you who can be encouragers, who can work through doubts with you. You need to make sure you're surrounded by people because faith is a decision we have to make personally, but it's a decision we share as a family. And church is meant to be family. It's meant to be surrounded by people who share your faith, who walk with you through seasons of doubt and difficulty. And then the last ticket that gets punched, gets punched with the words lead. Because there's a little girl who has strong faith, who's in a great place in her faith. And that may be you. You may be sitting there going, man, I'm, I'm good. I'm kind of glad I'm hearing this sermon, but I don't need much. My encouragement to you is to do what they encouraged her to do, and that's to lead with your faith. Because for faith to take on an amazing form that's beyond what you can get just by reading your Bible and just by walking with God and by gathering with people, you need to get out there and help others in their faith. Maybe this holiday season you need to be that safe place for people to have conversations who have their own doubts. Or maybe you need to commit to being here early on a Sunday or being at Radical Mission, going out of your way, adjusting your schedule, making some time so that you can help lead others spiritually. And let me tell you, it is the most amazing thing. It is the most faith-bolstering thing when we see somebody else that we are helping take a step of faith. Bill Bechtel baptized a little boy last week, Cage Murphy. For Bill, uh, we were talking this uh, before the service, for Bill, that's going in his memory book of greatest moments of all time. Because Bill got to help a little boy take a step of faith. And for him, he realized in that moment, my faith grew, not just cages. And so I'd encourage you, if you've been here, life is good, but you're not really doing anything, you've got to take a step. You've got to step out and lead others because that's where the most amazing things happen in our faith journey, beyond belief. It's watching other people take steps of faith. John the Baptist, we talked about him. He got thrown in prison. And one of the reasons I think he started doubting was because he lost those things. He wasn't able to lead others because he was isolated. He really didn't have friends to talk about faith with, to depend on, because he was isolated. And he couldn't learn. He was was the guy everybody came to for knowledge. He had his expectations of Jesus all lined out. And when Jesus didn't meet those expectations, he doubted. And so if a guy like John the Baptist, the greatest prophet of all time, needed things like learning and depending on and leading others, and I think we do too. So I'm going to boil that down to a really simple challenge. My challenge is simply this. We spend a lot of time at Christmas working on Christmas. I would encourage you to spend as much time this season working on your faith as you spend working on Christmas. So all those hours you put into wrapping gifts and shopping or doing Elf on the Shelf, I don't understand that one but you know y'all have fun with that um take all of those hours and try to find an equivalent way to pour into your faith if uh you need to grab a devotional there's a bunch of christmas ones out there on the table that you can have for free and just read through something every day you've got your phone open and you're using the bible app choose a reading plan choose a christmas reading plan and walk through scripture for the next couple of days every day and if you're a parent. My goodness, don't just do this for yourself, although you need to do it for yourself. Do it with your family. One of my greatest privileges, one of the most exciting moments in my house this day is when we read the Bible with my son. Now, Eli is 20 months old, so he doesn't understand much. But he loves the animations, uh, and it's a special moment for him. So special, in fact, that he asks for his Bible. It's one of the words he does know at this point. um, Every morning. And he will sit on the floor and flip the pages just to read the animations. Now, he's probably not getting anything spiritual out of that. But I love the fact that's a special moment for him. And you know what? It's a really special moment for me. Because those Bible stories challenge me. They may be geared for him, but man, I, I would read a whole Bible if it was pictur- picturated and animated and all that. So um, This is a free app for a phone. So it doesn't even cost you anything if you want to put it on a phone or a tablet. Um, they also have a printed version that's brand new. Um, and there's copies of it out there um, with a sign that says $10 because that's what we paid for them. But I would encourage you to spend time as a family building faith as well. If you're a movie watcher and you are watching The Lampoons and The Polar Express and all of these Christmas movies, you need to make sure the nativity story is also a part of that movie list because that will take some time for at least two hours this holiday season and focus you on what Mary and Joseph went through and how Jesus actually arrived on this earth. Because I guarantee you, if you haven't seen that movie, some things are going to take you by surprise. It was a lot harder for them than you think. So. And then, lastly, as I said before, please, if you're with family this holiday or with coworkers in a casual environment, please try to be a safe place for people to explore faith. Faith is not the absence of doubts, faith is pursuing God despite our doubts. And this Christmas season, I challenge you to spend more time on faith, building your faith, than you do building Christmas. Let me pray for you guys. Father, thank you for this day, for this life, for your gifts. Many of us are in here and we believe because of people who led us in faith. So guide us through what that looks like for us in this next week. I pray, Father, for those who are struggling this holiday season because they're not going to see some loved ones who aren't with them anymore, that you'll be with them in comfort. And I pray for those who need to make a decision, whether it be to believe for the first time, or to pursue God, or to gather friends around them and depend. That you'll help them know what to do, and you'll give them ample opportunity to do it. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.